Power Hour. Welcome to the Biz News Power Hour, where we give you the rational perspective on business news that matters. Well, we've got uh, four big stories for you tonight, as we do every evening here on the Biz News Power Hour. I'm Alec Hogg, coming to you from the Biz News headquarters in Santon, Johannesburg. Talking first up with Brightrock's Chief Executive, Skalt Milan, financial results out for 2020. They're nearly 10 years old, and they're already the third biggest accumulator of business in the life insurance industry in South Africa. More of that coming in a moment, as well as how COVID-19 is affected whether or not we're taking life policies. And then our colleague Jackie Cameron, the editor-at-large here at Biz News, had an interview with Aspen's chief executive, Stephen Saad. Lots on vaccines and the rollout coming up in that clip. And then my colleague, Justin Rowe Roberts, has been keeping a close eye on what's going on in the United States. And both he and Pete Fulion believe the Transaction Capital has done an amazing deal in the purchase of We Buy Cars. We'll be talking with Transaction Capital's Chief Executive, David Hurwitz. And one of the hardest working financial and political analysts in the country, the independent Nick Borain, must have been up until all hours of the night last night following the ANC-NEC meeting, uh, where the party finally decided to eject Ace Magashule. It's a story that we published on Business this morning, and it's uh, gone pretty viral. So Nick himself will be joining us later in the show. Lots for you coming up, but let's start off with Jackie's usual update on the news. Here's the flash briefing. ANC Secretary General Ace Magashule has been given 30 days to step aside from his role or face suspension and disciplinary action by the party. President Cyril Ramaphosa announced late on Monday that these 30 days could not be used to review the decision of the ANC Integrity Committee. Magashule must stand down after being charged with more than 70 counts of corruption and fraud. This is in connection with the squandering of more than 200 million rand in an asbestos roof audit in the Free State. Africa's biggest fund manager and a key investor in South African gold companies says that any consolidation in the sector must benefit the country as well as shareholders. The Public Investment Corporation, or PIC, which manages about 2 trillion rand or $128 billion of mainly South African government worker pensions has a broader mandate than purely shareholder returns. This is according to Mdu Bolosi, a portfolio manager at the PIC for mining and resources. The PIC also considers potential job losses, the welfare of communities in which mining companies operate, as well as the interests of the broader South African economy, he says. Bulosi's comments come amid speculation that Johannesburg-based Anglo-Gold Ashanti and Goldfields could be takeover targets for foreign buyers because of their relatively low valuations. Neil Froneman, the chief executive officer of South African gold and platinum miner Sibanya Stillwater, has said the three companies should combine to avoid being bought by companies based elsewhere. South Africa recorded foreign direct investment inflows of about 16 billion rand in the fourth quarter, This follows outflows of just over 12 billion rand in the third. This is according to the central bank. 
The South African Reserve Bank says in its quarterly bulletin that the inflows in the latest quarter were caused by non-resident parent entities increasing equity investments and granting loans to domestic subsidiaries. More than half a million people lost full-time jobs in 2020 in South Africa, while many who remained employed lived off smaller incomes. This is according to Statistics South Africa, which says that total gross earnings decreased by about 36 billion rand, or about 5%. But there was a slight increase in salaries between September and December, when lockdown regulations were eased, and employers were generous with bonuses. Stats SA records an increase from about 50 billion rand in bonus and overtime payment to about 90 billion rand in the last three months of the year. And that was your BizNews Flash Briefing. I'm Jackie Cameron for BizNews. For more on those stories, do head over to biznews.com. Justin Rowe Roberts has been watching the local and international markets. The JSE All Share Index was flat at 67,200. Some of the main highlights of the day include Motus up 5.5% to 89 rand a share, PSG up 3 rand to 71 rand 50 as it continues to narrow the discount to some of the parts. A good day for the financial sector with APSA the biggest climber increasing 4 rand to 132 rand a share, and Royal Buffer King Platinum decreased 7 rand to 109 rand a share as the share went ex dividend. In the currency markets, the rand is strengthened against all the major currencies to 14 rand 90 cents to the dollar. 20 rand 45 cents to the sterling and 17 rand and 47 cents to the euro. Gold is down at $1,685 an ounce. Brent crude is lower at $64.5 a barrel. And the premier cryptocurrency Bitcoin is trading at 875,000 rand. Our guest co-host tonight, Magnus Haystick from Brenthurst. Magnus, always good to have you in the studio and particularly well, in the virtual studio, but particularly because tonight we've got uh, Skulk Milan, the chief executive of Brightrock here. So you'd know all about Skulk and Brightrock and how they're doing. Yes, good afternoon. I've been following this story, which is a, a fascinating story of an innovative company coming to the market and really shaking things up. So it's a pleasure and a privilege to be talking to you, Skulk. Good no, good afternoon, Magnus, and uh, it's a privilege to, to be talking to you guys as well, entrepreneurs in your own right, so thank you for that. Well, it, it really is an interesting okay. story that we've been following for a long time, almost 10 years, and in, in fact, here at Biz News, we love Brightrock because you guys have been our partners yeah. Uh, yeah. from virtually day beginning, day dot. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's lovely watching the entrepreneurial story, but I, I feel a bit embarrassed, Justin, because Brightrock has now got... 20, how many? 25 offices around the country? 25 distribution apps and uh, yeah, two uh, administration offices. And so. Skulk, that's incredible, especially given the low growth South Africa that we found ourselves in, for a company to be doing so fantastically well. Yeah, so uh, Brent, it's been, a, it's been an amazing journey. I mean, 10 years, I mean, if you look back, um, I mean, we, we often get asked this last few, few months around getting to that 10 year anniversary. Um, what's some of the highlights? Um, and, and one of the key things stands out, you know, not just the, the, the real impact that we've made in the market from a product innovation, but having the privilege to be able to cover, you know, more than 2.8 million lives um, and, and the responsibility that comes with that, but, but really giving us that, uh, that sense that we, we're making a real impact and difference. As Martin has said, you know, it's really shaking up the market and we were able to move the market in, in the process. But you focus only on life assurance. You don't actually do investments 
yet? <laughs> you always keep asking me that question, Alec. Um, well, Magnus wants to know, eh? Uh, Magnus, surely you get a good offshore fund, you might give them some support. Look, um, I want them to stay away from the investment business. Leave it to us. <laughs> <laughs> Look, um, Alec. I mean, Brightrock stated from from the get go that uh, we 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 believed in in what we were doing in the life insurance space. Um, we also believe that our our future does lie in a multi product, um, even potentially multi market financial services organisation. And and you know, if you look at just the needs of a client. Um, we've really focused now on the risk side, life insurance side, which is really protecting that balance sheet if some, from volatility if something unplanned happens. But it really like is, COVID. Like COVID, it's a great example. Um, but it uh, really goes hand in hand with building the balance sheet, the asset side of things. Um, so, so absolutely, that would be lying in, in, in future thinking. But at the moment, our big focus is really making sure that we capitalize on, on the opportunities that we've uh, or the impact that we've made in, in the risk market. Um, and we've made a massive impact, as, as you've said earlier. I mean, we're now the third largest new business writer in the, in the independent broker space in a very short space of time and, and, and really being part of, you know, very, very competitive, um, very well-established players, worldwide regarded players. So, so that's something to be really, really proud of. And, and we believe we need, need to expand and build out on that. Now, Magnus and I used to, we started our careers in the same building in Hate okay. Street, uh, I was one block above you at the Citizen, and you were downstairs at, I think, the, the Transvaler, or uh, uh, anyway. That's correct, yes. Yeah, it's going back. It's a long time ago. Marcus, Marius Joost. Marius score, yeah. But, uh, and Fechkop, which was the, the, the pub over the road, very well named Fechkop. Uh, but, Magnus, those days and going forward, there were two insurance companies in South Africa that mattered, Old Mutual and Sunlam, and then Liberty came to the party, and it used to box a little bit with Old Mutual and Sunlam, but the rest were just nowhere. Now, fast forward to today, and here's Brightrock telling us in the financial results that you guys got the third most uh, new, business new business. In the, in the independent broker space, which is where we operate, which is, you know, um, accounts for basically half the South Africa. So who was one and two? So on the NMG, it's not uh, it's not a big secret. I mean, Discovery is is number one, and Momentum just pipped us. But I mean, we're in good company, um, Alec. You know, we 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 really in a space where we I think uh, you know if you look at the COVID year, we, we've made a massive inroads in that market share. I mean, if you look back at 2019, we were sitting just short of 11% market share. We're now just short of that 15% market share, in the midst of a market that has shrunk more than 16% from a new business point of view. Why would it shrink? Just logic here. Mm. If COVID is so dangerous and people are scared of dying, surely you take out lots of life cover rather than reducing it. Yeah, look, Alec, it was a fascinating time. It was about a year ago now, um, but more than a year ago that uh, that hard lockdown was announced. And, and, you know, the impact on all industries was devastating. I mean, let's make no bones about it. In the life insurance space specifically, a big challenge, especially in the underwritten side of business, you, you had the extra problem that we couldn't get to clients. We, we Firstly, brokers couldn't go out and advise a client, meet with them because of lockdown, obviously. And then the second challenge was simply being able to, to go out and, and, and draw blood from clients, send them to doctor's appointments. That you, As we all know, the labs were really overrun by, by, by the COVID testing. So, so that really put brakes on, on new business in the traditional sense. And it required officers, life officers, first to really 
kind of get used to the new norm, um, come up with new solutions very quickly because we didn't really have much lead time, if you, if you remember, on, on the lockdown level five, um, and, and roll that out. And, and that really hamstrung a lot of organizations by a few months. You know, we talk about that um, COVID um, dip, um, and then they started recovering. Yes, like third quarter, fourth quarter was, was much better for most insurers. But, I mean, to catch up basically a drop of more than 50% in a quarter of your period, you're going to battle to catch that up. So so it was not normal. I mm. mean, I've got to stress that, Alec, and your point around surely people had more um, um, awareness of their life insurance. Or desire for life insurance. Desire. Yeah. And that's very true. I mean, we saw it in our product, you know, especially um, the way that clients could interact, advisors could interact. It's all you could fulfill completely online. Um, you know, the, the amazing gifts that COVID, and it's obviously devastated a lot of families and that, but it's given BrightRock in particular a lot of gifts from utilizing technology, utilizing an advice space. And we saw quite a rapid pickup. And then clients actually, once they um, were able to, to engage and interact and got over the shock of it, um, we saw a great desire for people to utilize life insurance. And just to s- a simple example, the one thing that we rolled out to, to most of our existing clients was a feature in a product called our extra cover vibe, which is basically the ability to buy more cover free of underwriting, literally just a phone call. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like a top up or a, a, a um, and, super and size. Use, and we saw the utilization of that just shoot through the roof. Um, and even advisors appreciated okay. it because now they could generate that ex- engagement with their client, um, obviously generate that, that revenue for the period. So, so for BrightRock has been um, it's been, a, 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 from, a, from that point of view, very positive. Um, but obviously, it's been extremely tough for all insurers. You would have seen the claims experience from many insurers, even BrightRock. I mean, we, we paid out more than 880 million rands in claims just in, in the COVID year, um, which, which is a significant increase, not just because of business that's grown, but also the actual claims experience. So, so it's been a tough period for, for all insurers. But I think, as, as we said, BrightRock is really... Um, you know, when the going gets tough, the tough gets going a little bit, um, if I can use that analogy. You're an actuary. Another actuary, Nick Hudson yeah. at Panda, was yeah. uh, he presented a keynote address at our business news conference yeah. two weeks ago. That's up on YouTube. It's gone ballistic. There's more than 120,000 people have actually viewed it, and it's a half-hour video. Yeah. And he is saying that this is not so serious. You guys also cover or have a funeral policy. Yeah. So now, have funerals gone through the roof? Because if it is serious, then you would have seen it in that number. Yeah, Alec. I, I mean, my I understand the the um, you know the impact on 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 you know the the, the opinions being raised around it's not so serious. So, I mean, I've personally been going out to funeral parlors just after um, first wave COVID and. Um, and talking and, and experiencing what they've experienced, mm-hmm. and also just looking at the stats that's come through. Um, I mean, some of these parlors, especially in your rural areas, I mean, I've seen increasing claims hundredfold, hundred oh, percent, so doubling in claims. Um, COVID wave two was slightly less impactful on 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 that uh, um, on on a lot of our lowest lower LSM communities, but it's been very very serious. I can tell you, I mean, from our experience as well, during some of those um, spike periods. We saw claims literally doubling, um, and 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 the numbers have been um, very impactful on those businesses. To be fair to Nick, and maybe I worded it incorrectly, he said that we should be protecting the vulnerable, yeah. so focusing on the vulnerable people. But 
many, many members of the population are actually not exposed to this. Are you getting any sense of the people who are dying? Are they the vulnerable? Are they the, no the elderly? There's no doubt. I mean, and, and, and again, I want to use um, reference to some of the more rural areas that, that we saw, you know, hotspots, the Eastern Cape, um, you know, comes to mind, where, where I think a lot of people didn't necessarily die of COVID directly, but it was second order impact. So, so there might have been the need for antiretros, just normal winter colds and flus, pneumonia, um, tuberculosis. I do believe that that has had a significant impact on, on people. Explain that. Was that because they weren't getting the antiretrovirals anymore? Or, or, they weren't getting treated were scared, in hospitals? They were, they were scared, scared to go to hospitals? Scared to go to hospital. They weren't that Whoa. service and care. Uh, there, there was significant impact on because we don't record, and as we know, there was a lot of um, talk around how do you actually record all the deaths as whether COVID or not being testing um, um, people that have already passed away. Um, and and it hasn't been tested, but then it doesn't explain why there has been a, such a significant spike. It didn't correlate to to the actual COVID numbers. And, and it's all theory. I mean, mm. I, I don't have evidence, empirical evidence to base it on, but it makes sense from what we've discussed on the ground, what we're seeing. Um, when we talk to, to our funeral parlors, what they've experienced. Uh, it, it's interesting because in the discussions with uh, Professor Alan Whiteside, who's in the UK, who is an AIDS, HIV AIDS specialist, who's now focusing a lot on uh, COVID, he said ARVs would be very good for people in defending them against, yeah. uh, against COVID. So that makes if, sense. if people could get the ARVs, they, they would have been okay. But if yeah. they aren't getting it, I get it. I, I understand yeah. what yeah. you're saying now. Yeah. Yo, Magnus, uh, I, it's a complicated subject, uh, but one that I guess we're only going to find out in time when the real data is out. Well, I was just going to say, you, you asked that one question is we need much more analysis, much more deeper analysis yeah. to, to, to get to the truth of who's, who's affected most, how, where and when, and what are the other comorbidities that play a role. I think the media has tended to be very, very hyper about the coverage and there's been very little sensible thinking about who's more vulnerable than than the rest. And I'm sure that will come. The clever guys like Skulk and the other actuaries will delve deep into the data and, and, and it will trickle out in time so that we have a much better handle on the COVID-19 virus because it doesn't look as if it's going to go away anytime soon. So it's going to be with us for a very, very long time. But we need better information. Certain people are more vulnerable than others. Why do you punish the others who are totally maybe immune to it or won't pick it up? So we do need a bit more scientific approach to this whole process. Our colleague Charles Buerta is uh, listening in with at least one question for Skulk. Skulk, uh, this is a question going back a bit. Uh, how did you manage to grow uh, market share? Because I know Warren Buffett says you can easily grow uh, insurance business there's uh, almost an infinite demand at the right price so what did you guys do yeah, so so sure maybe i'll just talk about last year because i think that's quite topical in terms of growing market share and um you know we've been asked that question a few times as well you know if you look at just that significant growth from a 10 to a 14 percent market share um, where the market was contracting and um i can ascribe it really to to one Easy answer. I mean, we actually had no choice. I mean, um, you know, from a from a people from a from a business where we are. I mean, a, a big part of our business is designed to grow um, to to make sure that we can um, really 
um, you know, have, have solutions for clients that, that protect them. But, but it's, it was an attitudinal thing. We just had to find solutions, positive solutions. Do not say, okay, how do we just protect our existing book? Um, because as we know, a lot of solutions was out there in terms of premium holidays and that. We, yes, we had that as well. But that was a small part of what we had in mind. We actually said, let's actually get out there quicker. Um, let's engage with our brokers. Let's engage with our clients proactively. Of one of the examples I gave earlier, let's find them solutions to still grow their business and have that mindset. Um, and, and and I think that played a big part. I mean, we 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 we've got a, a dynamic team. We've got a. I mean, Alec, know the guys. Um, Sean and, and the distribution team w- was really out there. You know, they were working very hard to make sure that 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 trajectory continues. Where I think a lot of the existing. Um, incumbents, and I'm not being critical, you know, the, you get a, um, an institutional complacency that that's, does develop um, with, with organizations that saying we'll still be okay because we, we, we've got um, lots of fat. <laughs> and, and BrightRock has really been galvanized over the 10 years. And anybody that understands an entrepreneurial business understands you're solutions driven, you're a business that, that really f- driving your survival every day and driving your growth. Um, and when it comes to these tricky moments, and it was devastating for every but any business that says this wasn't a problem, um, except maybe some of the fintech or uh, uh, technology players, um, you know, is, is just not talking, making sense. Um, it has been devastating, and, and it required us to really, um, uh, you know, get out there. I think the other big thing, I'm sure that that's a big driver of, of what we've seen, and we're actually going to leverage that going forward, is our technology. I mean, um, if I look just in how our product performed in the hands of the advisor, you know, that digital advisor journey, you know, um, I, th- I think a lot of advisors actually adopted this to say, instead of me now having to go to my client um, and see them maybe three or four times to, 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 um, to, to conclude a transaction, um, I could actually balance that with utilizing this product technology. So some of technology, and I think attitudinal was a big driver, especially last year. Yeah. So there's there's some pretty broad questions or broad ideas and examples there from yeah. um, adopt, greater adoption of technology, more client-focused. It, it's almost like COVID has made business sharper. It if is. you weren't sharper, well, you might not be in business or you're going to be losing market share. Absolutely. So I like the question that Charles asked and, and, and also the way that you've unpacked it for us. Magnus, uh, do you do any business with Brightrock? Unfortunately, we don't. So um, guess who I'm calling in the morning, Scott? So let's talk about it. You get good stuff here on this program. Last week, Krista Visa. Now you've got Scott Milan. You've got these, all these hotlines, man. <laughs> Indeed, indeed. Uh, but, uh, you know, the point that Scott makes about institutional complacency is so very true. Alec, you and I have seen it over a career of 40 years. Our companies grow, they dominate, and they become fat and lazy. And often it's down to the human factor that the the guys, and I'm not, there's no disrespect to anybody, it's a fact of life. They're in a different stage of their life. They're approaching 60. They're looking more at their share options and their pension plans than going out and, and starting a new business. And in fact, that's how Discovery was was started. I mean, Adrian Gore and, and and a bunch of young actuaries went to the Liberty board and said, we've got this new idea for a, a medical aid. And, and it was based on that that they said, no, we're not interested. And, and Discovery uh, was founded because Adrian Gore stepped out. We just seen a repeat of it again. Uh, and it's a lot to do with age, attitude, energy levels, and, and you've got one group of, of 
people in a company are well entrenched, very comfortable, not threatened, but they should be because you've got a bunch of innovative uh, people, not only in South Africa, but all around the world, wanting to eat their breakfast, mm-hmm. as, they, as they say. And I think that's what uh, BrightRock is doing. And BrightRock was founded from people who were at Discovery and went it off. There we go. I, I, didn't, I didn't even know that. So my, 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 my theory is, is more than a theory. It's, it's, it's just the way business works. You get these breakaways, you come up with a good idea, and eventually they say, let's go and do it ourselves. Yeah. Sure. Uh, Scott, just one more. Um, which new kid on the block are you really, if you had to join someone else or... Uh, do you really respect which ones which new guys also coming up yeah look sure there's uh, the barriers to entry in, in in life insurance in particular is 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 very high um so so in fact i mean we we actually seeing a bit of a reinvigoration of some of the existing incumbents that's had a bit of a changing of the guard um and and really working hard to to re- reinvent themselves um if i had to look at some of the New kids on the block. That's that's starting literally from from a dining room table as Bright Rock started, and I want to stress that point because very seldom, um, and and I don't know in recent memory, you know, that uh, life insurance financial services group was started literally from from scratch with zero brand, um, not off the back of another organisation. Um, what you see quite often now is there's there's quite a few direct players that that market directly. Um, you know, but but uh, a lot of them are also challenged by by just the concept of life insurance is a sold product. It's not a bought product. Yes, there's there's more and more a sense that clients take a more active stance, and Brightrock's capitalised on that, being able to put the client in a more knowledgeable position to also be um, understand what he's buying. I think more so than any other solution. But um, that's what a lot of guys are running up against to say that distribution conundrum if we go direct. From a product point of view, um, and, and I'm not uh, not uh, drumming my own drum here, but but uh, I do believe BrightRock is leading the way. I mean, we, we've got a world-class product. Um, our, our challenges in terms of growing distrib- our distribution, growing our market share, and that threat's really coming from existing incumbents, as I say. Alec, that's, that's also um, re-looking re- at themselves. So a king price. Uh, or someone like that, or, or maybe one of these hollowed offshoots, they're not, they're not worrying you? No, look, we monitor every single competitor and product that comes, comes around um, very carefully. At, at this stage, I would say no. I mean, our, our, our biggest um, consideration is, is looking at the um, larger existing financial services groups um, that, that, we, that we are competing on a daily basis with. Scott, good having you in the studio. Thank you for joining us. Although, to be fair, it's just a little walk around the corner here in Sandton. And, uh, and, and really good to see you again. And congratulate. Well, I look forward to the 30th of May. I think we're going to have to celebrate we're that to 10 year. Yeah, we got, we're, I think uh, we're like three years behind you at okay. business, two and a half years behind okay. you. So we, we, we've been watching you because you like a two and a half year old older brother. <laughs> Uh, we haven't been able to keep pace with you, but who knows, with Justin here now, mm, anything's possible. Uh, that's uh, the Chief Executive of Bright Rock, Skalk Milan. You're listening to the Biz News Power Hour, brought to you by the team at biznews.com. Well, on to that special interview that Jackie Cameron had today with the Chief Executive of Aspen, Stephen Saad.
South Africa is going to catch up on COVID-19 vaccination rollout fast, with single-shot J&J doses coming out of a new Eastern Cape vaccination manufacturing plant from next month. That's the promise from Stephen Saad, CEO of South Africa's biggest pharmaceutical manufacturer, Aspen Pharmacare. The JSE-listed multinational invested 3 billion rand into a facility before the pandemic. Saad spoke to me, Jackie Cameron of BizNews, about how the pressure was on after the South African government rejected AstraZeneca vaccines earlier this year amid confusion over whether the vaccine was effective and safe. The Aspen Pharmacare CEO describes the J&J COVID-19 vaccine delivery as a watershed moment for the company and says it will reduce South Africa's dependence on other countries. Take a listen. So the, the way it works is you manufacture and then you have to wait probably about four weeks, one, to do tests on them, and two, to confirm sterility that it's still sterile. You can do it concurrently. So anything you saw coming off the line on TV yesterday that was going to South Africa, you've got about four weeks, three, four weeks till that comes out here. And how are those vaccines going to be rolled out? Are those going through the government or through private healthcare providers? You know, I'd like to think that our, our response begins and ends at our factory gate, but we do know a little bit more. Um, it's going to go through both. Um, so it will be available through both. No different to anywhere else in the rest of the world, though. You're not going to be a, a healthy 18-year-old and get it ahead of a, a granny of 80 who might not have the same access as you. So whether you're in the public or private sector, which is exactly the same as it's being rolled out everywhere else. In the world. And then the rest of the population, and then you clear your hospitals, you People stop being scared of the disease. They've got a right to be scared. It's killing people. Now you stop killing people. You stop your hospitals are empty. So it's how quickly we roll out that first phase, in my opinion, that stops us being scared of this virus. We might have started a little bit behind, but because the others are using two doses and we are using one, we can catch up very quickly. (laughs) So, And we have a vaccine that has proven effective against the variant that we've seen in South Africa. There's a scale-up period, April, May, June, and then I think from there it's, it's, a, it's a really quick process. I mean, we've got fantastic capacities. I think we should worry less about procurement of vaccines now and worry more about how we roll out, you know, a, a, a big volumes of vaccines in the not-too-distant future. And what about the ongoing discussion about the virus mutating? Generally, what you have are variants which is what you've seen now, the variants. And you have the same thing in the flu. So you have the same registration, not a whole registration process. You just submit the new variant, that the adjustments you made for, me for the new variants. And so I see that as being something that the pharma companies will manage as we go ahead. I think that we're going to get new variants from here, Jackie, many is an absolute given. I think you're seeing it already. The one positive is our variant in South Africa seems to be if you can manage that variant, you can manage the others. We are the only producer in the Southern Hemisphere. But certainly Africa is very supportive of Aspen, and, and we'd like nothing better than for the majority of our supply to go to Africa and COVAX and South Africa. We know what it's like to be to not be first in the queues. Give us some insights into what happens in your world, liaising with governments and <laughs> other pharmaceutical companies and deciding whether it's Aspen or J&J. There's a perception that the pharmaceutical industry is quite ruthless and cutthroat. And I mean, that's a sad perception because uh, suddenly when the world needs vaccines, the pharmaceutical industry is is all you've got. So it's a, it's a bit sad if that is the perception that it's ruthless and all that. I think all business is tough. 
it becomes extremely tough when lives are at stake. So you can't just sit there and think, oh, I've got this person to sell to at 10 and this one at 15, and you'd be quite within your rights to, to do that if you're selling your motor car or your house. So pharmaceutical's got a, a broader overlay and a bigger overlay of responsibility because you've got so many lives at stake. You can find the full podcast interview with Stephen Saad, CEO of Aspen Pharmacare, on BizNews Radio, which is available on all the major podcast channels, including Spotify. And that's quite an interview uh, that Jackie did with Stephen Saad today. Good insights into what's happening with the rollout of vaccines in South Africa. Well, we are talking to top companies tonight. It was great having a chat with, uh, with Skulk, Skulk Malone. Justin, he's here in studio. He makes us, those who are watching on YouTube, both look very short. He's six foot six. Absolute man mountain, Alec. Yeah, absolutely. Isn't he just? And you can see why they sponsor rugby. But I, I see, have you got a, is that a, uh, Magnus? I can see you wearing a very interesting top. Is that a cheetah's top? <laughs> well, that is actually a top designed by my wife. It's a cycling top. Um, cycling. And, and, uh, and the minute after we uh, finish this, uh, this discussion, I'm hopping on my new Trek bike, which I got for my birthday. So uh, we'll be heading into the hills of Valdivy very soon. Well, that sounds amazing. And when you come to the Business Conference in September, I didn't do the mountain biking course, but Pit Fulion raves about it. He said it's, it's uh, there in the Drakensbergs, one of the best. So you've got to bring your bike along there too. Well, Pit Fulion is a monster on a mountain bike. So... Um, and I hate him because he's so good and so fit. So, uh, you know, I always say to people, someone has to come last in a race, and it might as well be me, but I'm having great fun while everybody is racing away. So mountain biking is simply just great fun. <laughs> well, Pete's also a monster when it comes to finding some really good investment opportunities. And at the Business Conference, among those that he spoke about was Transaction Capital. I was very surprised, given the incredible run that Transaction Capital has had, but he put this down to, or gave it as an example, on a fantastic deal, he said, that they did with a business called We Buy Cars. Justin, the reason for this is that there was a, a, a similar deal done in the U.S. So European Pier um, in the U.K. actually just got bought out by a U.S. SPAC. So SPAC, Special Purpose Acquisition Companies, have been going crazy in the U.S., um, these blank check companies need to invest in, in other companies, um, privately listed. And it seems like the secondhand car market, I mean, I just look at Carvana, I look at Froome in the U.S., and now Kazoo being swooped up by a U.S. back. So they are similar to WeBank Cars? A, a like-for-like pair, just, just a global pair. And um, Pitfall Yun did harp on this in his investment thesis about transaction capital. So it'll be very interesting to hear from CEO David Hurst. Who, who is on the line. Uh, David, I don't know if Pete has spoken to you about this before, but he certainly was singing your praises to our, uh, at our conference. Yes, uh, good evening, everyone. Um, uh, although I haven't spoken directly to Pete on this uh, over the last few weeks, I do know of his views. And um, I think it's quite a common view that people are looking at the investment that we've made in We Buy Cars and see, I think, two things. First of all, just um, uh, just fantastic organic growth coming out of this business. But I think um, 
probably probably more importantly is some value accretion in that uh, you know the business that we've bought here uh, I think if you look internationally is valued um, you know on really high multiples um, so yeah I think there are two things that people are excited about here. Is that what happened, David? Did you see what was going on internationally then say, oh, in a South African context, the Van der Waals might be prepared to sell a big slug of their business at a discount to what maybe a UK or a US uh, company would have wanted? So I wish I could have said that strategically we had thought about it in that way. Um, but really what we saw is that the, the founders of this business, uh, Fon and Dirk van der Valt, um, had tried to sell a stake to Nuspass. Um, and the business or, or that combination was blocked by the CompCom. Um, the feeling was that, you know, this business is a big e-commerce vehicle trader. In actual fact, probably the only e-commerce vehicle trader of any scale in South Africa. We sell about 8,000 cars a month and about uh, 40% of those are, are sold online. All of them are bought online. Um, and the ComCom kind of blocked that deal. Uh, that deal was done at a, at a 16 times PE, but on using 2018's earnings. And we then came and said, well, you know, we couldn't pay a 16 PE because uh, our company didn't have that type of valuation at the time. Um, but certainly we could pay a 10 times PE. And of course, the earnings had grown by about 30 or 40%. So the, the, the net cash out for the Fund of Alt Brothers was actually better on our deal than the NUSPAS deal. That worked for them. And of course, it also worked for us because we were able to buy in at a very accretive rate. A very interesting part of all of this is that NUSPAS wanted 60% of the business, but you have been happy to own less than 50%, 49.9. Explain that. I wish I could say we were happy to own less than 50. We would also have liked to have bought 60%. Um, but the Fund of Vault Brothers, quite frankly, wouldn't sell more than, more than control to us. And that was because they had been burnt by the ComCom. So really what they said is they said we can buy 49.9, which we bought, and they have an option to put another 10% uh, on us um, uh, in about September this year. So there is um, an opportunity for us to go above that uh, 49.9. And right now, uh, the relationship with the Thunderbolts is really good. Uh, what we think we can bring to them is the ability to finance vehicles, so to be vertically integrated, not only, you know, buying and selling secondhand cars on the Internet um, or, or online. Um, and they're very good at the data and artificial intelligence and the digital side of the business. But what we think we can do is to vertically integrate the business to be also offering finance and insurance. So that strategy um, has been well aligned on that strategy, and I think there's a high likelihood that they will exercise uh, that put. And if they exercise that put, then there's another section of calls which can take us up to about 75%. So so there is a path to control is, is the short answer to the question. Magnus, from a broader perspective, we've seen a lot of – Afrikaans businessmen coming to the fore in recent times. Uh, the Vanavalts were unknown until this recent transaction. What, when one looks back, in the past it was almost like uh, many Afrikaners went and worked for the government uh, because it was part of the, the cultural issue. Now that uh, the Afrikaners are no longer welcome in the public sector, if you like, uh, they seem to be doing unbelievably well in the private sector. Is this a surprise to you? No, 
I had a conversation. I had a discussion with Prince um, Santo about this, and he promptly went and stole all my comments about exactly what you're describing. A generation of Afrikaners would either go into the into government politics or, or the CAC, you know, or go farming. And that, when the, the, the new South Africa came around, that fell away. And there was a whole new generation of, of, of Afrikaners uh, who, who came into the marketplace and they didn't have that safety net. And they went and they started their own businesses. And there are many, many examples. Atterbury, uh, Capitec, uh, PSG, you name them. And, and there's a, a solid line throughout it they went out and did it for themselves, and, and they became hugely successful. Now, the Van der Waal brothers, coming from, I think, Broncos Sprite or something of all places, came and shook up the traditional selling of the selling and buying of, of second-hand cars that had all kinds of connotations and, and various layers of truths and untruths. And they came and cleaned it up. They've used algorithms. They've used... Uh, many other techniques to take away. So when you deal with them, you trust the algorithm. You know that the price that you're getting for your car is fair. And as someone said to me, they take away the fear factor, and and the, and the, and the, and the, you know they they made it so easy. They come to your house, they inspect your car, and if you do the deal, you do it right there and then. Money's in your bank account. Uh, Ten minutes later, it is in its simplicity. It is so brilliant. And they've, you know, they've they've made a lot of money. I know the two Funavol brothers, and they, you know, they just came and saw an industry and they said we can do it better. They innovators. Your previous guest, Skalkberg, Skalkmalon, also an innovator. And it's these innovators who come in and say we can do this better. I'd love to know from David how he's going to keep them sweet because if you get entrepreneurs going into a business, particularly. If the business that you're talking about is going to go, the control is going to go to transaction capital. How do you keep the innovators, uh, David, uh, like the Funavalt brothers, happy and and uh, and still doing what they need to be doing? Yes, our business model has always been around partnering with entrepreneurs. Um, we always talk about having owner managers in our business, not professional managers. Uh, the three founders of Transaction Capital are still heavily involved in the business, and all the businesses that we've invested into have always been together with the founders of those businesses. So SA Taxi, um, which is one of our businesses, our, our collection business, TCRS, is still, or until recently, was was, was involved with the founders, but still has um, a management team which owns a big stake in that business. And we will end up in the same position with the Thunder Vault Brothers. So ultimately, when we get to um, uh, to owning 75%, uh, we will own 75 and the Thunder Vault Brothers will equally own the other 25, half and half. So it's all about really partnering with entrepreneurs, keeping entrepreneurs uh, invested. And, and then it's all about what we can do to take that business to the next level because entrepreneurs – are very good at getting a business to a certain level, but often they need a little bit of help to get to, you know, to the next level. So, you know, and that next level, you know, we'll leave them to do the buying and selling of cars and to use the artificial intelligence and algorithms and everything that you guys have spoke about. We'll leave them to do that, but hopefully we can then help to take, to build kind of the next revenue line, which will be finance and insurance. So we've always partnered well with entrepreneurs. We've always been a great home for entrepreneurs and we've um, so far been able to keep founding shareholders 
um, you know, with us in <coughs> with it. Sorry, with us in business twenty years down the line. So um, I think this is actually part of our part of our business model. But like the Buffett, the Warren Buffett approach. But if it weren't for Capitech, transaction capital would be the number one company people talk about. But Capitech have grown; their share price has grown more than you. But apart from that, you take the two of you out of it, uh, you really are streets ahead of everyone else. And so excellent models for would-be entrepreneurs or even normal business people to look at. But what I'd love to know before we let you go, David, was in March last year, a year ago, your share price dropped to 13 rand. Uh, It's now back at 31 rand. Did you guys buy big uh, in the middle of the pandemic when the the stock had that that sell-off at 13 rand 50? No, I wish I had. Quite a hard time because just as we were going uh, uh, into that period, uh, we went uh, we went into our close period. Our, our close period actually just starts now as well at the end of March. So when the share price really uh, uh, did so badly, we went into a close period from 31 March until about uh, the middle of May. So <laughs> I was locked locked out of buying shares. And I remember my son, who was 16 at the time, coming to me and say, Dad, can I buy some of your shares? And I said, no, son, not now. And unfortunately, by the time um, we put out our trading statement and we put out our results, um, the share had actually recovered uh, relatively well. So, um, but still a lot, uh, a lot less than where we were, where we are right now. Um, so, um, that was a, that was a lost opportunity, but I would have loved to have, have, um, you know, piled in at that point because really the industries that we operate in are potentially even more relevant now post COVID or in COVID. Um, you know, the, the minibus taxi industries proved to be very resilient and the main form of public transport, bus and train have practically fallen over. Uh, debt collection services are going to be required more so than ever. And what we're seeing is more and more people buying second-hand cars as they can't afford new cars. And right now there's a shortage of, of new cars as OEMs haven't been able to produce. So, um, you know, so I really do see a strong um, both short-term but also long-term outlook for, for the businesses that we own. Just to close off with Pete Fulhun's last point, uh, although the transaction – uh, is only uh, it's a relatively small size for your company as a 20 billion rand market cap company, uh, a transaction of under 2 billion rand. So it's easy to calculate around 10%. That was viewed in Pitfulion's uh, opinion as perhaps being a, a transaction, transforming uh, a transaction for you. How important is we buy cars in your whole mix? I think it's very important because. Um Remembering that that uh, you know fifty percent costs us just under two billion, uh, but there is another twenty five percent to buy, and then I think going forward, if you take a look, you mentioned Kazoo and those guys and and the spec that's just gone on, but Kazoo, um, Auto One, which just listed a while ago, Vroom, which listed before that, you know, if you look at those businesses, the valuation metrics on those businesses are are much higher. I mean, they have multiples on revenue that we think of multiples of earnings. Um, so if we were to be able to get that type of a multiple on this business, then absolutely, you know, we buy cars would be very valuable, probably as valuable to us as, as, um, as SA Taxi. And that does then give us quite a big increase in our market cap. 
but also I think the growth engine of this business um, uh, accelerates our earnings growth. Um, both of our businesses can grow earnings in the high teens year on year, uh, but I think if you take a, and that's over a medium term outlook. But if you look at B bar cars, I think that's uh, you know maybe you know twenties, mid twenties, maybe even growing earnings in the thirties. So it really does give us um, an ability to grow earnings quicker than in the past and for a sustainable period of time. So that really is very important to us. And I think in the fullness of time, this could be the biggest business that we own, bigger than SA Taxi and bigger than our, our collections business. You're listening to the Biz News Power Hour, brought to you by the team at biznews.com. Well, one man who was working late last night is Nick Borain, one of the uh, most respected independent political and financial analysts. He joins us now. Nick, I can see you on our uh, Riverside uh, uh, background there. We hope that, that, that you can hear us loud and clear. What time did you actually finish off last night? Um, Hi, Alec, and, and hi, everyone else. I hope you can hear me okay. Um, and there's so many people I recognize amongst, you, amongst your guests. Greetings to you all. Um, so I didn't. Um, it was a straight-through situation. I mean, they, they, I can't remember exactly when they announced when, when, when uh, the president appeared to give his report back around about 11. And from then on, basically, I had, to, I had several streams of things I had to do. And so... I pretty much didn't finish up. They obviously had spent the whole weekend working on the on the problems that they had been having, um, and to reach an agreement. I mean, this was no cruise in the park. It was a bitter fight, but one that I think they always were going to win. Um, but. Yeah, so I haven't had a lot of sleep. I'm certainly going to follow this interview with a bit. Well, we look we look we looked forward to uh, uh, to, to hearing your thoughts a little bit later. Um, but I can tell you that the article that you wrote last night on your all nighter uh, was extremely well consumed by the business community. Just unpack it for us. What happened at this? Why it was so relevant? Uh, this national. Uh, executive committee meeting of the ANC and and why Sir Ramaphosa uh, triumphed. I, look, uh, okay, let me go with the, the view that it was a triumph, um, and I think it relative to the incredibly slow place of pace of the implementation of the step aside rule which essentially goes back to the 27 nasrec conference they've been able to argue this is purely an implementation of a nasrec resolution which is the way to argue anything in the anc um, and i think that uh, they finally won it but remember this has been there's been about 3 necs in which it was confirmed that this is what they were going to do. And they've still given it a 30-day um, implementation date. Um, so I think, you know, I think everyone was skeptical, and there are those who remain skeptical. Uh, but um, I also think that the power of the so-called state capture faction, Ace Magashule, Jacob Zuma, Busisiwe Nkwabane, and all of them um, 
Um, I think it's they they have been losing ground since 2017 or since at least 2018. Uh, Cyril Ramaphosa built up the institutions that would eventually catch these guys and grind them down. And I think without strongly intervening himself, which we know is not his style, he has allowed the processes to unfold and brought the criminals to book, whether it's through the MPA um, um, or whether it's through just their own ongoing misdemeanors, um, poor performance. I'm thinking now of the public protector. Um, And I think this weekend was the moment. And, you know, when you tell your clients, and I have been telling them for six weeks, six weeks, Ace Magashule will be forced aside. That will be the, or at least that will be the signal that uh, we're on the path um, where we may be able to accelerate anti-corruption and possibly reforms in general um, and it happened so uh, I'm, I'm grateful as an analyst um, for uh, for um, for making that prediction but it was not just a prediction it was this is it for me it was do or die now you've got to do it now because you don't you cannot say I'm going to do it again and postpone it again so he's kind of got a postponement in with this 30 day um, execution but there are a whole lot of practical things they have to go through um, but it looks like they did it they find and I think there's been there's so much negativity and despondency, certainly in the markets, about um, the decisiveness of the Cyril Ramaphosa administration that I think they were surprised and gratified. Um, uh, still cautious, and I'm sure some of your guests are cautious um, about uh, whether this is going to happen. For me, it's clearly it has happened, um, and it's a question of uh, just implementing it. Uh, do they go down fighting? Yes, they do. If I was them, what you do is you fight on every fiscal weakness that you can. The student, uh, we're, we're, ultimately, you'd like to get your 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 lever into the uh, into the public sector wage bill. That would be the big one. Uh, but there's no one on either side of that debate or conflict where the radical economic transformation faction is going to find an ally. I've just listened to a brilliant. Uh, Julius Malema attack on the radical economic transformation faction, you know, just in that manner that he has, casual putting them down you know, no one is if if the EFF is not going to take them no one is going to take them and I think that we've overplayed their danger and the threat to Cyril Ramaphosa's program. This is not saying Cyril Ramaphosa's program is going to flower. We've got bigger problems than uh, the failure in politics. Our debt and growth situation are profound. So, yeah, it was a big night. I think it was an important symbolic, no, more than symbolic, a real victory. It's a it's going to be looked back on as the moment um, in which the decisive win over the vac- that fac- faction took place. Um, but yet again, don't read. It doesn't mean that the world changes from now on in. Um, you, it'll only, it would have. Uh, sorry, am I interrupting someone? Not at all. No, we, we're listening. It's it's fascinating stuff. But my question, I guess, or the question on everyone's lips is, uh, you've you've positioned it as the moment, and the moment has actually gone the way that, as citizens of this country, we should be grateful for. 
is there ever is there a possibility of a comeback now was that the moment of the knockout punch the the count to 10 the pull them out of the ring kind of thing or is there any way that uh, the, these these corrupt deeply corrupt individuals and it's well chronicled can actually somehow get their hands back on power I would have to say no. I don't think they have the popularity. Um, Jacob Zuma has gradually, his legal troubles have just grown and grown and grown. He was the only person with a mass base and charisma that could have um, led, uh, I suppose, a real fight back. But, you know, he's been out of it and he has been gradually consumed with his own legal travails and... um, Ace Magashule has never been the charming kind of dancing, all singing. He's not that guy. He's not able to inspire that kind of confidence. And he was deeply implicated in so much corruption. The bit he's been charged for um, around the asbestos scandal. No one's going to back him. He's except maybe in, in 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 Free State. He used to have support in KwaZulu Natal. That's gone. Northern Cape is 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 um, is, is is literally not up for, uh, or is, is not up to back him anyway. Um, you know he the Busisiwem uh, has just been a c- catastrophe. Carl Niehaus is, I mean, look, I don't know what to say about that, but other than you know, this is not a group that in any way presents a real threat and their threat has been over exaggerated for some time and it's been declining while people have been speaking it up it's a better news story saying Cyril's under threat Cyril there could be a revolution these guys could um, and you've heard and I've seen it, I won't mention names, but you'll have seen the counter-revolution, the, the, the economic sabotage, um, the, the truck burning has got to do with them, the Prasa stuff has got to do with them. I don't buy that at all. And anyway, those are actions of a weakening. These are not strong actions. These are weak actions. They're defensive actions. There are other problems, much bigger problems, but this one that has consumed everyone's attention is receding, and thank heavens. Thank you, Nick Bahrain, for uh, bringing us up to date. They're wonderful insights from Nick. We could carry on all night, but unfortunately we've come to the end of our allotted time. Before we go, though, uh, Justin, bring us up to date with the markets, please. The JSE All Share Index was flat at 67,200. Some of the main highlights of the day include Motus up 5.5% to 89 rand a share, PSG up 3 rand to 71.5 rand a share, as it continues to narrow the discount to its sum of the parts. A good day for the financial sector, with APSA the biggest climber, increasing 4 rand to 132 rand a share, and Royal Buffer King Platinum decreased 7 rand to 109 rand a share as the share went ex dividend. In the currency markets, the rand is strengthened against all the major currencies. To 14 rand 90 cents to the dollar, 20 rand and 45 cents to the sterling, and 17 rand and 47 cents to the euro. Gold is down at $1,685 an ounce. Brent crude is lower at $64.5 a barrel. The premier cryptocurrency Bitcoin is trading at 870,000 rand a Bitcoin. And in the US markets, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, S&P 500, and NASDAQ are slightly in the red. Thanks for being with us today. You can get the recording of the Biz News Power Hour, which of course is on air every day from 5.30 p.m. Uh, you can pick it up 
on the Biz News Radio channel on Spotify and iTunes. We live stream worldwide and broadcast free to air on FMR in Cape Town. I'm Alec Hogg and from our Biz News team until tomorrow at 5.30, cheerio. You've been listening to the Power Hour brought to you by the team at Biz News.